Uh, if you got your Bibles open up to Matthew chapter 22, we're actually going to be looking at uh, two main passages tonight. I told you this morning we were going to talk about fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission. Uh, if there are two commands or two things that we ought to be really focusing in on as a church, it's these two, what we call the great commandment and the great commission. Now, you may have heard those terms, and I may mention them, and you might even remember a portion of the verse, or you may remember all the verse that speaks towards those two things. Or a lot of people, if you ask them, you say, what's the great commandment? They might not even have a clue as Christians. You ask them, what's the great commission? They might not know even where to find it at in the scriptures. But both passages we're going to look at tonight are in Matthew. One's in Matthew chapter 22, and one is in Matthew 28. We're going to just read both of these because I want you to understand this is the crux of the matter. In other words, this, this is the centrality of who we are as Christians. What we as Christians ought to be doing in everything that we do in everyday life. So we begin in Matthew 22, we begin in verse 36, and this is the great commandment. A man comes up to him and says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. How amazing when you think about that. In other words, Jesus was kind of combining it, just boiling everything down to two points. You want to know how to obey the entire Old Testament. Love God and love others. Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, he just boiled the whole Old Testament down to two commands. And you think about that. Now, a lot of people try to display and put all the Ten Commandments into those. And in truth, you really can. The first four deal with obeying God, of loving God, right? Shall have no other gods before him. You shall not use his name in vain, honoring the Sabbath. You know, everything boils down to that. No idols. And then the last six, honoring your parents. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet don't bear false witness have to deal with loving others and he boils them all down to these two commandments so there's a there's so much built into these passages we're going to look at tonight now flip over to matthew 28 we're going to come back to matthew 22 in a second i want to read both of these first and we'll begin in verse 18 and it reads there and jesus came and spake unto them saying all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, that's an amazing passage when you think about it. These are some of the last words that Jesus spoke before he left. And he said, we're supposed to go. Now, I know that just blows people away because we have this old Field of Dreams mentality. How many of you have ever watched Field of Dreams? All right, you know what I'm talking about. If we build it, they will come. That's the way it used to work in the church. Let's be honest. The church used to could build something brand new, and everybody in the community was nosy, right? You know what I'm talking about. You build something new, everybody wants to know what's going on there. How were they able to build that? And so they go to check it out. You don't think I'm kidding. At our first church that we were at for 14 and a half years, at Forest Park, we, we actually didn't build anything. What we did was the buildings that we had, we had two buildings. And one of them was red brick, the old, ugly, clay red brick. I mean, just, just the ugliest brick you've ever seen. Like, I mean, it was like, like when they first made brick, all right? It was just awful. 
And then they built on a new sanctuary. And when they built on a new sanctuary, they used kind of like a brown and orange brick. And it was beautiful. Well, the problem is, is these two buildings met up against each other. All right? It was hideous. And so I, we, had, we proposed a plan. And one of those things was we wanted, to, we wanted to rework the building. We wanted to make it look a little better. And so we went and we actually found out instead of refacing the brick, there was a brick mason in town that was going to do it cheaper to demolish the brick, fill up our sinkhole, and put brand new brick on it. And it was going to be half the price of refacing the brick. And while we did that, then we put these brick archways down the breezeway. So we did brand new brickwork on an old building. Guess what happened? People showed up. Man, did y'all build something new? No. Well, this looks brand new. Well, it should. The outside looks brand new, but go inside. It don't look new. You know, but it's just funny to me because oftentimes we have that mentality that if we still do the same old things, people will come in. But the passage tells us to what? To go. If we're going to reach the fields, if we're going to reach the harvest, guess what? It's not in the church. It's outside the church. Well, let's take a look at these things. And we want to talk about tonight five points to fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission. Now, guess what? This is going to sound familiar to this morning, isn't it? It's the same five points we talked about this morning. But we're going to look at them from a different perspective. The first one we're going to look at is praising, worship. Look at me again in Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. You ever thought about what that means? Loving God with all of your heart. Now, I know this is just going to blow you away because, you know, when we tell people we love them, we tell them we what? We love them with all our heart, right? Because that's where we think emotions come from. It comes from the heart. That's where love comes from. But that would have been unheard of in biblical times, all right? When they talked about the heart, they actually think like what we think of as the mind. This is where the intellectual thoughts came from. Where everything inside of us came from was the heart. If you wanted to say to somebody, if you were to say it back in biblical times that you love somebody, you might say, hey, baby, you make my liver quiver. <laughs> All right? This is where they thought that emotion came from, the sinner. All right? So that's what you would have said, not from I love you with all my heart. I might love you with my gut. All right? So when he says heart, they're actually talking about mental thought. They're actually talking about capacity of knowledge. So when they talk about the mind, they're actually talking about your personality. You're loving God with all your personality. Isn't that funny? You know, how, how many of you guys have ever been on a blind date? Anybody ever been on a blind date? I went on a blind date in college one time. My wife and I met on a blind date. I, I, hit, the, I hit the lottery with that one. But the first blind date I ever went on, a friend invited and told me, said, you, you got to go out with this young lady. I said, okay, great. Does she, how she look? Because that's every guy's first question, right? I'm not the only guy to ask that question, am I? Y'all better not be lying in church, all right? So I was like, okay, well, how does she look? And he goes, she has a great personality. Indicator. Only a mama could love that, all right? So anyways, I'm getting myself in trouble tonight. <laughs> anyways... But you think about that when you think about because because to be honest with you, the girl could look absolutely beautiful on outside, but if her personality is horrible, I don't want to date her either. All right, but to be honest with you, personality is, is something that's so important. It's it's really the basis of who we are, not our looks, but it's who we are for real. And so when we're talking about loving God, we're talking about loving God for real with all that we are. 
So he says, and then your, your soul. In other words, the deep-seated, you ready for this? Emotions. you got to love God with your emotions. Now, let's be honest. We as Baptists, a lot of times, we pull back on the emotional side. And we're going to talk about that in a moment, especially when I look at this passage. Because the idea of worshiping God, we're called to worship him in very purposeful ways. The first way we're called to worship God is we ought to worship him in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, I love this, verses 23 and 24. Jesus said this there to the woman at the well. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now what does that mean? Worshiping him in spirit. Now, a lot of people look at that and they say, oh, it means I need to worship him in the Holy Spirit. Well, no, that's not what it's talking about there. All right? The spirit is actually talking about, you ready for this? The emotions. There ought to be emotions in our worship of God. Now, again, we as Baptists, we hold back on the emotional side. Because we are afraid if we get too emotional, we might become a little Pentecostal. I'm not kidding. I remember when growing up in church. How many of you grew up in dead church? Anybody grew up in dead church? All right. I grew up in dead church in Summerfield, North Carolina. That's where I was born and raised. We sang the same songs out of the same hymn book the same way practically on rotation. And you didn't clap. And you didn't say amen. I thought I'd try that one time while the preacher was preaching just to see what my parents would do. And I got smacked in the back of the head when I said amen. I mean, I'm telling you, it was dead church of Summerfield, North Carolina. It was just the kind of church where you just didn't talk. You, you didn't get emotional. You didn't get excited. You didn't get thrilled about worshiping God. And I remember when I went to Liberty University, when I went there to school, and they had a, a band up there playing music. And I'm sitting there in my first convocation and I kind of grabbed a hold of the chair and I went, what's this? My legs want to move, you know. This is exciting. And I thought, what has gotten a hold of me? It was just, and you clap and you praise the Lord and you raised hands and people were shouting. And I said, this can't be church. It's fun. It's good. And I realized what he meant by worshiping in the spirit meant that, guess what? It's okay to let your emotions be a part of your worship. Now, here's the thing. Some people clap when they get excited. Some people raise hands when they get excited. Some people burst into tears when they get excited. And it's okay for those emotions to be a part of our worship. Because if we hold them back, we are quenching the spirit of God. Man, I'm here to tell you, we can quench the spirit so often. Spirit tells us to do something, and we're like, well, what if everybody, what will everybody else think if I do that? Well, here's the thing. If it's scriptural, if it's scriptural, it's okay. Now, here's the thing. The problem is, and let's be honest, it's because of what took place in the Pentecostal camp to why a lot of people are afraid to allow their emotions to go. Because what the Pentecostals ended up doing, unfortunately, they began to add to God's word in some cases. When they began this holy laughter movement back in the 90s. Does anybody remember that? Where people were falling out in church, dying laughing. And they said they were filled with a spirit. And all it does was disrupt the service. But people said, oh, well, it's the new emotion. Well, where do you find it in scripture? You don't find it because it's not there. And people finally started standing up against it. But because of that, everybody else pulled back and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't want anything to do with anything like that. And because of that, we pull back on the emotion. 
And the problem is if we pull back on the emotion of our worship, we pull back on a part of God that he created us to be and fulfill in our worship. But not only must we worship him in spirit, we must worship him in truth. Now, we as Baptists, we've got that down, right? We know the word of God is supreme, so if it's not in there, we don't do it. I believe, and I'll be honest with you, this is the reason why I'm a Southern Baptist. Now, I don't believe we have everything 100% right. Can you believe I just said that? And I'm a Southern Baptist preacher. We don't have everything 100% right. But I'm going to tell you what, I believe we're the closest to the Bible of any other denomination out there. Or I wouldn't be a Southern Baptist preacher. I believe that with all my heart. Now, when I look at this, I understand worshiping spirit and truth means, guess what? Here, we're so filled with truth, we, we give up on emotion. And we need to hold on to both of those things. I'm going to tell you, when you dig deep into the doctrines of God, when I begin to look at how God is omnipresent and omniscient and omnipotent, and I begin to look at how God is immutable and unchanging, how God is forever, everlasting, how he's self-sustaining, how he's always been, when I begin to look at that, that gets me excited. You got any other Bapticostals in here tonight? I'm preaching to a few of you. That's all right. We'll keep going. In spirit and in truth. But here's another thing. Our worship needs to be, you ready for this? consistent consistent in the book of philippians philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 it says this rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice that means worship's consistent in other words it's not just something we do in church it is something we do wherever we're at we gotta worship god everywhere we go I'm going to tell you, that, that to me is one of the most exciting things to be a part of. If I, I, I've driven down the road and I've seen people and they're just singing in their cars and getting excited about the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. I always see, I, I love it when, you know, sometimes you'll see the young people get excited in church. And I'm going to tell you, can I, can I tell you what will put out a youthful fire? Old smoldering embers. The old scowls. Who do they think they are? This is my church. I don't see your name on it. His name's on it. It's his church. Here's the thing. When it comes to worship, it's got to be consistent. And I'll be honest with you. You won't worship in here like you ought to if you're not worshiping out there like you ought to. It doesn't, it doesn't come any simpler than that. But not only does it have to be consistent, it has to be purposeful. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. It's got to be purposeful. I'm going to tell you, how many of you ever thought you could vacuum for the glory of God? Y'all think I'm crazy, don't you? That's all right. That's good. I'll tell you, one day, my wife and I were getting ready for church. We were getting the kids ready. We were having some people over for Sunday lunch, which my wife always informs me that's the worst time to try to have people over for us because we're trying to get ready for church and we're trying to do all this. And so, so she goes, I've got to get this house clean, right? So without her asking, I grab the vacuum cleaner and I just start vacuuming and worshiping the Lord while I vacuum. And she comes out, she's like, as soon as she comes out, she goes, I've got the vacuum. I went, already done. Already done. And put a big old smile on her face. She was ready to go worship. You can vacuum for the glory of God. You can wash dishes for the glory of God. You can do all things for the glory of God as long as you're making sure that God is exalted and God is praised. And guess what? When you do it for other people, it's as if you're doing it unto God. So it needs to be purposeful. It needs to be with all one's heart. In Matthew chapter 15, 
Verses 8 and 9, it says this. This people draw nigh unto me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. I wonder how many of you, if you'll be honest for just a moment, have ever just given God lip service? I don't like raising my hand on that one, but it's true. There have been times where I've been in church and I just sang what was up on the wall, sang what was in the book, but my heart was not there. I just, I read the words, I sang the words, I just, I, I went through the motions and walked out of church knowing that, that I got nothing out of it and that I put nothing into it. And oftentimes we will do that. Now, I'm here to tell you it's so important that you recognize when you look up at the walls and you see it, I've had people make this statement. I said, oh, I think we need to pick up the old hymn book. Do you really think God is concerned with a book or whether it's on the wall? I mean, let's just be honest. Does God really care? No, he doesn't. Are you ready for this? Does God care whether it's contemporary or traditional? Does God care whether it has a beat or not a beat? Does God care whether it's with a piano, a guitar, a drum set, cymbals, horns, trumpets, whatever? Does God care what it's played with? No. You know what God's only concerned about? Is that you praise him. Is that you exalt him and you do it with all your heart. And a lot of times if we look up there and you see a song and you go, well, I don't like that song. I didn't know it was written for you. But I like it back when they used to play it with the banjo. That's great. You can have your preferences. But it's not about our preferences. It's God's preference. And if we're worried about what we want in worship, we've then made worship about us. And that's not godly worship. Man, when we get to a point where we just sing whatever's up there and we just look at Travis and we go, one more time. Do it again. Get another song. Let's keep going. Man, I long for that day where we just keep singing and we keep worshiping and we don't worry about getting out before 12 to get to lunch. Man, that is what worship is all about. Well, we're hoping we'll get to that point where we're praising. Number two, I also found in the great commandment is serving. He goes on, this is the first and great commandment, but look, number two. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself wow you think about that love thy neighbor as thyself have you ever thought about what that means would you talk poorly about yourself if you wouldn't talk poorly about yourself don't talk poorly about anybody else would you hurt yourself if you wouldn't hurt yourself don't hurt anybody else right it's pretty simple complex that if you won't do it now i remember one time my my son was in school and we got a phone call. He's going to get mad at me for telling this story, but this is probably one of the funniest stories I remember when he was in school. His teacher calls up and she says, John, we got a problem. I said, what's that? She said, Caleb went over and he messed up Eli's puzzle. I said, messed up Eli's puzzle? Why did he do that? Well, she said, well, she said, Eli came over there and knocked over his blocks. So Caleb went over and messed up his puzzle. And she said, I tried to explain to him the golden rule, do unto others as they would do unto you. And she said, and Caleb's response to me was, well, I did unto him what he did to me. <laughs> that was hard to deal with that logic, you know, when he's that little. 
But he did finally understand the concept. It's not do unto them as they've done unto you. It's do unto them as you would have them do unto you. In other words, it doesn't matter if somebody does something to you wrong. It's not ours to seek vengeance. It's ours to even love them in spite of that. We're called to serve people. Now, here's the thing. When you look at this, there are two areas in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We talked about these gifts earlier today. There are these spiritual gifts that God has given to us. There's prophecy and teaching and leading and mercy and giving and intercession and so many gifts that God has given to us as God's people. And those gifts, are you ready for this? They're not for us to hide them. They're not for us to hide them. They're for us to use them for the glory of God. Are you ready for this? The reason why God gives us gifts is to glorify God and edify the church. So a lot of times people will say this to me. How many, how many of you have heard this comment before? I don't want to go to church. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You've probably heard that many a time. You know what I tell them? I'm like, you're absolutely right. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You just have to go to church to be obedient. And if you're disobedient and you continue in disobedience, are you really a Christian? Bible says they went out from us because they were never of us. 1 John 2.19 often wonder when people come up to me and say, well, I've been backslidden for 20 years. Honey, you didn't have it in 20 years. You never had it. Maybe you got saved now, but I don't know that you can backslide that long and be away from the will of God because my Bible tells me that when sin comes to the full, he'll slay you. If you're truly his child, he'll take you out if you disobey him for so long. You might want to check yourself. But here's the truth. God has given us these gifts to glorify his name, to exalt his name, and to edify the church. And here's the truth. If you're not in church, how can you use your gift? You can't. It's impossible. Now, I told you earlier today, I brought them in here. Spiritual gift inventory test. I had a couple people come up and ask me about it. I'd be happy to give you one, but I got to go over instructions with you before I just hand it to you. Because I want you to understand how important this is. You can find out what God has gifted you with. You can find out what your passion is. And you can find out how to serve in the church. But you got to want to. You see, people will use excuses all the time. Like I said this morning, I asked people, and I'll probably just take in a guess, and I'm going to give a Baptist guess, maybe 15% of people raised their hand and saying they knew what their spiritual gift was. How can we serve God if we don't know what God has called us to do? And a lot of people will say that to me all the time. They'll say, how do I know what God is calling me to do? Well, it's real simple. God has given us the keys to know what he wants us to do. All we have to do is want to. So here's the thing. God wants us to use our gifts. God wants you to find your area of ministry. That's the amazing thing about it is every one of us in here, God wants to use. Amen. You think about this. How many of you watch? Anybody watch NASCAR? NASCAR? A few of you. Some of y'all are uncertain. You're like, well, if there's nothing else on, I'll watch it. All right. How many of you like to drive around with a flat tire? How about that? Anybody like to drive around with a flat? Anybody ever driven on a flat? My wife and I went to eat one night. We start backing up, and the thing goes, da-dum, da-dum, da-dum. And I'm like, okay, we don't need to go any further. How many of you would just keep going on the da-dum, 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 you know, all the way down the road? Would you do that? I wouldn't do that. I pulled it back in. Took me an hour to get the tire, because it took me forever to get the spare tire off the back. That thing, you had to wind it and wind it, and it was just forever. But I wouldn't do that. Why? And a lot of us, the problem is, is we're being the flat tire on the, on the church. And we're not functioning, right? And so the church is just all the way down the road. Man, when I was in seminary, you want to know something that's crazy? 
you guys want hydraulics, just use busted shocks. I drove an hour and a half to seminary doing this all the way down. All the way an hour and a half to seminary for about a year. My shocks were busted. But that's the problem. Many of the churches are doing the same thing. We're just going down the road, just hopping along because people aren't using their gifts. People aren't doing what God has called them to do. And so the church is missing out. But here's the step. Here's the scripture. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. That means we're to use the gifts that God has given to us to serve others around us. If we all get to serving, if we all start doing our part. Could you imagine the first church I was at? I remember I went in there. And I remember looking at the nomination committee sheet. You guys ever seen one of those where you're nominating people for committees and you're nominating them for general offices and Sunday school teachers and things like that? I got that sheet, and I remember seeing this name, Jan Morgan. Her name was on like nine things. I was like, holy moly, y'all are going to burn this woman out. She's on nine things. And I'm looking through that list, and I'm going, man, I can tell you 50 people don't have their name on here one time. What is wrong with this? So we went back through and we said, guess what? You can't do but more than two things. And if we get, and we get to a point where we don't have enough people on a committee, maybe we don't need to have that committee until people step up and do the job God's called them to do. Amen. Guess what happened? We filled the sheet up and just about everybody in the church was on there. Isn't that amazing when everybody decides we're going to do something? Here's the thing. God doesn't want pew warmers. He wants people on our feet serving. So if you, can't, if you want to know where is God calling me to serve, we'll find you a place. We'll plug you in. We'll get you a ministry because God wants you to serve. I'm here to tell you, Reba will take all the help she can get, won't you, Reba? I know, I know Rachel will too. They'll take all the help. They need all the help they can get with children and preschoolers. I'm telling you, there, to me, there's not many more beneficial services in the church. I'm serious. We need to serve. So we've got praising, we've got serving. Now flip with me over to Matthew 28. We've got three more we're going to look at. Matthew 28. We need to look at reaching. I want you, we're going to look at verse 18, even though it's really not dealing with reaching, but it is. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. You want to know why he prefaces the Great Commission with that statement? In other words, if I got all authority, whatever I say goes. Anybody ever had their daddy say that to them? I came back from college, 22 years old, graduated from college, bachelor of science, thought I was everything, moving back in with mommy and daddy. Right? Daddy comes up to me and daddy says one thing. My house, my rules. Yes, sir. Now, let me tell you something. I mowed more yards that year and washed more cars that year and raked more acorns that year than ever before. Why? Because I was living free of rent. And here's the thing. My daddy had authority. I was 22 years old. If my daddy said, get out of my house, guess where I was going? Out of the house. There was no doubt who was in charge. There was no doubt who had the authority. There was no doubt in my mind that I was going to listen to him. It always blows me away. I remember our first church, we had this family and they were having a hard time with their 16 year old and she came to me and she said i just i don't know what to do they're 16 they're grown i got around my waist i'll show you what you can do with it are you kidding me my daddy last time i got whipped i know y'all think this is funny i got whipped when i was 18 my daddy tore me up 
He didn't mess around with it. Some of them say, well, how would your daddy beat you at 18? He was, I was afraid of him. That's why. <laughs> he told me to bend over. I bend, he might even tell me to bend over now at 45, and I still might, you know. <laughs> but he had authority, and I knew it. And I said, you tell your 16-year-old it's real simple. Your house, your rules. They don't do what you tell them to do. They can get out. You don't think I won't throw my kids out? I will. My wife won't. I will. <laughs> she blocks the door usually. But it's authority. And the idea behind authority is simply this. God says, this is what I say, so you go do it. So there's never a question as Christians that we're called to do it. And what does he say? He says, go. 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 Man, if you don't understand what that means, that means we're called to go outside the walls. If this is all church is, we're nothing more than a social club. We're called to go. Now, with that going, that means several things. And we talked about it this morning. And I want to emphasize this. I'm going to preach on it for an entire month. Who's your one? Who is the one that God is laying on your heart? If you don't think that that's not a worthy goal, I don't know what else is. But if every one of us reached one person for Jesus, if every one of you came in here and said, man, I led one person to the Lord this year, you will get so excited, you'll go find another, I promise. I remember we did an event in North Carolina where we had, a, we had this big old uh, celebration. We had blow-ups and gifts that we were handing out. And I started training the people in our church. And we trained about 75 people to share the gospel. Half of our church came and got trained to share the gospel. That's unheard of. 75 of them. We went out there and we cooked. We gave away things. But we also gave everybody a name tag. And what we did with that name tag is then I gave everybody a sticker. And I said, if you share the gospel with somebody, you give them that sticker. And that way everybody else knows that the gospel's been shared with them. You don't worry about going to share with them. You go find somebody that doesn't have a sticker on their sticker. And so what we did, we made sure we shared the gospel with 300 people that day. We saw 10 come to know the Lord. But you know what's exciting about that? Is one of the ladies came up to me. She was so excited. And she said, I've never led anybody to the Lord. But today, God gave me an opportunity. And she said, I'm coming Sunday and I'm testifying. That's what she told me. I said, go ahead. I ain't saying anything. You testify. You go right ahead. You tell them because when you get in a Christian excited, it's never led somebody to the Lord. They want to lead somebody else. She went out with us that next Saturday knocking on doors. And the next Saturday, it was just an amazing thing. And that's the thing when you find that one and you lead them to the Lord. And here's the thing. You're not responsible. You ready for this? You are not responsible for leading them to the Lord. God will save them. But if you will pray for them and you will reach them and you'll sow that seed and you'll water that seed, I promise you that seed will eventually be reaped. Because the Bible says, whatever we shall sow, we shall reap. But you got to work for it. And here's the thing. That doesn't mean you turn away the first time they tell you no. You keep going. You keep going. But let me tell you something. That means we need to be involved in local missions. We need to be involved in state missions. And you ready for this? We need to be involved in foreign missions. I'm serious. If you've never been on a mission trip, you don't know what you're missing. Can I tell you something? If you've never been on a foreign mission trip, let me tell you what you're missing. You're missing everything. Now, a lot of people say, well, Brother John, I love this one. Brother John, 
we got plenty of people around here that need Jesus. Well, praise the Lord, but you're not telling them about Jesus, so let's go somewhere else where you might tell them because you don't know them, and then maybe you'll come back here and you'll tell the ones you do know. That's usually what happens. People get excited on the mission field, and when they come off the mission field, they're on fire for God, and they're ready to tell people about Jesus. It happens every single time. I've never known it not to happen. Every person that goes overseas and shares the gospel, you say, well, Brother John, I don't know if I'm going to like the food. Well, fast for a week. You might do more good. Well, Brother John, what if I can't speak their language? Neither can I. That's why they have interpreters. Well, Brother John, there's not a five-star hotel over there. Well, so what? Live like they do for a week, and it'll make you appreciate what you have back here. You see, missions isn't about us. It's about us going. It's about us getting out of our comfort zones. It's about us doing what God has called us to do. I'm here to tell you, I've been to several places. I've been to Brazil. I've been to Mexico. I've been to Tokyo, Japan, sharing the gospel. I never learned Japanese. I never learned Portuguese, and I don't know Spanish. But God blessed me with an opportunity to share the gospel. God blessed me with interpreters that were able to share the gospel. But you know, the most exciting thing is I just went this summer with my daughter on a mission trip to Tapachula, Mexico. And she shared, she, she led a young man to the Lord, her first person she ever led the Lord. You know what's really cool about it? She's she took Spanish throughout her elementary and middle school years, and she even took some Spanish in high school, but she could tell you she don't speak much Spanish. But she led the young man to the Lord in Spanish. The lady that was with us, she, she had been on the mission field, and she knew how to speak Spanish. She looked at Hannah, she goes, I didn't know you knew Spanish. And Hannah goes, neither did I. She said, but you just led that young man to the Lord in Spanish. She goes, yes, I did. It's amazing. We're called to go. We need to be a part. We need to be serving. Number four, we need to be connecting. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Baptizing them. We need to be connected. Can I tell you something? It always blows me away. People go, well, I don't need to be a member of your church to feel a part of it. No, you don't. But I believe membership has its privileges. I do believe that. I believe membership has its privileges. Because you can't serve in a church if you're not a part of it. You can't use your gifts in the church if you're not a part of it. So, yeah, membership is important. Connecting with a church is important. You want to know what I think is really interesting? You I want to read this passage. You ready? Okay, he's speaking to, how many people is Jesus speaking to at this point? Are you ready? Is he just speaking to 12? No. You know how many I believe he's speaking to at this point? You remember a passage in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says, and he spoke unto 500? So I believe at this point, this is where Jesus is speaking to 500 just before he ascends into heaven. He's met with them. There's many of them because, because you look at it. Because when you look at verse 16, it says, And 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into the mountain where Jesus appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You say, well, how do you know that? This is the only passage that seems to fit into that aspect right before he goes off. Now, here's what I bring up for this. Are you ready for this? Who is doing the baptizing? You know that Paul led many people to the Lord, but did you know how many people Paul baptized? Not many. He even says he didn't. Those in the church baptized. Are you ready for this? You don't have to be ordained to baptize. 
My mama knew that when I was baptizing when I was five in the pool. <laughs> Can you believe that? You don't have to be ordained to baptize someone. You know what I'm excited to be able to do next week? I've done this pretty much all since, since I got to baptize my daughter. I like to have fathers baptize their children. You want to know why? Because that child comes up out of the water and recognizes them as their spiritual leader, not me. Daddies, you're the spiritual leader of your children. So next week, I get to be a part of that. You know why that excites me? Because there, is, there was nothing more exciting for me than baptizing my kids. Nothing. Now, some people are going to look at that and go, that's not scriptural. Please show me in scripture where you have to be a preacher to baptize. This is the Great Commission. Are you ready for this? And it's given unto all of us. So if it's given unto all of us, then guess what? Everybody can baptize. You say, why are you making such a big deal about it? Because I'm here to tell you, next to leading somebody to the Lord, baptizing them is just as exciting. It is. It's amazing when you think about it. It's about connecting. And here's what happens. What you're basically saying when you baptize them is now they're under your charge and you are called to disciple them. You see, if the pastor is the only one discipling everybody in the church, can I tell you something? I will never get it done. Won't happen. I will never be able to disciple every one of you personally, one-on-one, and mentor you like I need to. But I can disciple a few who then disciple a few, who then disciple a few, who disciple a few, who disciple a few. And eventually everybody in the church is discipled. Because guess what? It doesn't matter whether the pastor disciples you. It matters whether somebody who's been discipled disciples you and keeps discipling those on beyond them. That's what we're called to do. And baptism is one of those steps. We need to connect. We talked about it with Sunday school and with fellowships. But lastly, let's look at the last one, teaching. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. I want to ask this question, like, how many of you, if I asked you to teach a class, would be able to do it? Just a few. Now, some, some of my Sunday school class teachers are in here. They better raise their hands. <laughs> but you think about that. How many of you have been a Christian for 20 years? Let me see your hands. How many of you have been a Christian for 20 years? How many of you have been a Christian for 30 years? Let me ask you this. If I asked you to teach, why would you be afraid? Hebrews 5, I want you to listen to this. This is where we get clogged up in the church. Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 12. For when for the time you ought to be teachers. You know who he's talking to? He's talking to the church, to everybody in the church. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who are by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Amen. The reason why we don't teach is so often we're stuck on the elementary principles. 
You want to know what the elementary principles are? They're, they're just going back to the basics of the gospel. Some people, I remember my wife grew up in a church, and the pastor would read a passage of scripture, and every scripture referred back to the crucifixion. I mean, every message was about the crucifixion. Every message was about the resurrection. And yet, it could be passages that, you ready for this, didn't deal with those portions. But every message was the exact same message, just a different passage of scripture. I said, how did you ever grow? She said, well, I didn't. Some of us sit back and we are drinking the milk of the word and we're so afraid to dig in deep because God might require more of us. To whom much is given, much is required. And so we sit back and we go, well, if I don't take it in, then it won't be required of me. But here's the problem. How many of us still need babysitters in the word of God? How many of us still need to be bottle fed when we need to be using a knife and a fork and digging into the meat of God's word? You see, the reason being is because we won't deal with the depths of Scripture or we're too afraid to look into the depths of Scripture. But the truth is, if you've been a Christian for decades, you ought to be able to teach the Word of God. You ought to have that kind of knowledge of God's Word that the gospel doesn't scare you. Not only does the gospel not scare you, but none of the books of the Bible scare you. You have a knowledge of those things. You want to teach them. You want others to learn from them. But the truth of the matter is the reason why this is not happening is because we are afraid that if we learn too much, we'll be much more required of us. You see, this is what God has commanded us, the great commandment, the great commission. The question is, are we going to be a part of them? Are we going to love the Lord our God with our heart and soul and mind? Are we going to love our neighbor as ourselves? Are we going to go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and teaching them all things that God has commanded us? Are we going to do these things? Or are we going to sit back and go, hey, you know what, Brother John? The great commandment, the great commission, they're just not for me. Well, I'm here to tell you, as a church, we need to be a great commandment and great commission church. Amen. And if we're going to do that, then guess what? We need to be following the mission of the church. The mission of the church, what are we doing? Investing in your growth. Investing in your growth so that we're what? Reaching, teaching, praising, serving, and connecting. You say, why do you keep pushing that? Because I want it to be so ingrained in your mind that when you go through this year, you know exactly what we're going to be doing as a church. I want it to be so ingrained in your mind that all you can think about is, man, he keeps talking about this I-N-G, and he just won't let it go, and we need to be a part of it. It's always funny. My, you know how I learned the Lord's Prayer? Anybody in here memorize the Lord's Prayer? Or what we might call the model prayer? You know how you learned it? Through repetition. I learned the 23rd Psalm, same way, through repetition. You know how you learn to do the part of the mission? Saying it again and again and again. You know how to even better do it? Go do it. Go do it. Are you going to be a part of fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission? If you're a Christian, let me just tell you something. It is required of you to do it. It's not a request. It is a requirement. I wonder, are you ready for this? I wonder how many people will stand before the throne judgment of God and will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I go to Hillcrest for you? Lord, Lord, didn't I go to church three times a week for you? Lord, Lord, didn't I get baptized in the baptistry for you? Lord, Lord, didn't I help sometimes? 
And I didn't want to get out of my comfort zone. And I didn't want to go share the gospel. And I didn't want to serve in the church. And I didn't want to do this. But Lord, I did just enough. And I wonder if he'll look at you and say, depart from me, for I never knew you. You see, for me, I don't even want it to be a question. I'm not working to be saved. You ready for this? I'm working because I am saved. I'm working because I want to glorify God. I'm working because I want to exalt his name. I'm working because I love him. That's why I'm doing it. I'm not doing it to get any accolades from people. I don't care if anybody comes up and pats me on the back. The only one I care that pats me on the back is Jesus. That's it. Are you going to be a part of fulfilling the great commandment, the great commission? That's all I ask of you tonight.